0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting Bluehost.com. That's Bluehost.com.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Here we feature mostly cop and detective shows, plus adventure, plus surprise. You never know, but it's the best from the golden age of radio. We'll guarantee that. For those of you who want nonstop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1,001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1,001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Enjoy!
2: From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. I got $500 here for you.
3: And all I have to do is guess the mystery voice? Uh, is it Julius Caesar?
2: This is Western Union. A message with it building irregularity suspected
3: manhattan nebraska proceed there immediately stay cheyenne hotel will advise regards paul mcgraw chief investigator great chesapeake
0: fidelity and insurance
3: guarantee okay thanks sounds like you're in for some real fun mr dollar i am during the war i was stationed near manhattan nebraska good town
0: good town it made a texas army
4: camp looked like the promised land <laughs>
2: Edmund O'Brien in another transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar 2... Mr. Paul McGraw, Chief Investigator, Great Chesapeake Fidelity and Insurance Guarantee, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an account of expenditures incurred during investigation conducted on behalf of your company, or the story of the Big Red Schoolhouse. Expense account, item, transportation, $134 plane fare, New York to Omaha. Item, transportation, $3.95 bus fare, Omaha to Manhattan, Nebraska, which a fellow passenger told me was a quiet, sleepy little town but which seemed to be celebrating Rip Van Winkle Day as I stepped off the bus nobody was walking and everybody was running I followed the crowd in the general direction of the excitement two blocks north of the main street the fire crews were hard at work playing the hoses on what was very shortly not going to be the new high school building and that's where a little man with black curly hair introduced himself I am Paco Gonzalez I carry those bricks myself
5: watch fine new school grow up under my own hand what's the matter? How come these buildings I worked so hard on for 16 months goes down in 16 minutes, huh? I ask you,
3: mister, how come these... Oh, now, calm down. down. What are you talking about, dear? Like everyone else in Manhattan, Nebraska, I spent the next three hours working with the emergency fire and disaster squads. And by 8 o'clock that night, we seemed to have it under control. I finally dragged myself over to the Cheyenne Hotel. But before I could leave the front desk, I had a long-distance call from you, McGraw.
0: Johnny, where have you been?
3: I've been trying to There's get... There's been you. a big fire here in town. Everybody had to work on it. Uh, did Joe Stankovich get in touch with you yet? Who's Joe Stankovich? A guy who lives there. He tipped
6: us, said something about a building
0: we're covering being in bad
3: shape. What building's that? Uh, New high school, just put up six months ago. And it fell down tonight. What? In a heap. The building will retail now at a junkyard for about 35 bucks.
6: Well... You better start with this Joe Stankovich and see what it's all about, Johnny.
3: Right. Mac, I'll keep in touch. So long. So long. <laughs> Room clerk, have you got city directory around here? Yeah,
6: city directory in this burg? Yeah. Yeah, who do you want to find, Mr. Dollar? I know everybody, in and out. My man
3: named Stankovich, Joe Stankovich. Yeah, oh, him. The city morgue. What? When?
6: He just came over the radio. They picked up what was left of him out of the fire. Yeah, and that ain't much. <laughs>
3: Stankovich had no survivors and no close friends. He lived in the basement of the school and kept to himself. That was all I found out about him after asking questions around town for an hour or so. About 11 o'clock, I started back for the hotel. Turning a corner by an alley, two men in dark clothes were holding a third man in a tweed suit. The fourth man was giving him everything. Hey! Hey! When I came up, the three men scattered like burglars. The man they were beating pitched forward, and I caught him before he fell. You need some help, mister. Everybody needs help.
5: But let me tell you who I am before you help me.
3: Maybe you won't want to. All right, right? who
5: are you? Bill Garrett. Yeah? Uh, you don't live here, do you? No, I just got in town this morning. I was the architect on that school. Well, don't you understand, Samaritan, don't you see? Those three men were a group of citizens. Their kids could have been in that school when it caught fire and collapsed. And I'm afraid they feel that I don't design especially strong... Buildings
3: at... His office address was in his billfold. I held a cab and took him over there after stopping by a drugstore for bandages, iodine, and something to take off the chill. While I was patching him up, I remembered how he'd stood there without a sound while they did that to him. When he came around, I told him who I was and what I was doing there.
5: Uh, thanks. Uh, uh. Ah, you represent a powerful company, Mr. Dollar. But you're wasting time. You'll learn nothing from anyone in
3: this town. I kind of thought you might tell me something, Garrett. Yeah, of
5: course. I could tell you every delicious scandal that's happened here for the past 30 years. Every exquisite depravity and violation of the sanctity of human intelligence. Oh, no,
3: I mean about the school building.
5: Well, I can tell you there wasn't any reason for those boilers to be fired today. That there wasn't any reason for them to blow up.
3: But they did. Any idea why? Lots
5: of ideas. And all of them bad, Dollar, real bad. Okay, tell me. Look, I was raised here. I went to college over in Lincoln. And one day I came back an architect. I was going to make the whole place over. Nice buildings, nice streets, everything. And you saw what happened. The school was my first big project. Yeah? I drew it four years ago, revised it a year later.
3: And the city hired you? Better than that.
5: I was so good, the day they broke ground on that school, I left for Paris to study at the Sorbonne.
3: Then you weren't in town while it was being constructed. Mm.
5: (sighs) I was out learning how to build even better things. (laughs) I got back in town four days ago. I went over to see my building. Well, here's a laugh for you. They used my outside drawing, that's all. Looked like they made up the rest of it as they went along. I went over to see the building contractor to ask him about it. Double talk. He told me to keep my mouth shut if I ever expected to do any more work for the city. This building contractor, what's his name? He has a perfect name, Dollar. A fine, sunburned man with lots of good teeth and not an ounce of fat on his broad frame. Big Jim Madden. Where can I find him? <laughs>
3: Twenty or thirty irate citizens of Manhattan had already gathered outside Jim Madden's home. With the ten uniformed men from the local sheriff's office forming a half-moon circle across the close clipped lawns, as well as the two standing guard over the yellow convertible in the driveway, meant there'd be no kind of beating up around there. My identification card got me inside, where I waited around in a den that was stocked with good liquor and good leather chairs. Finally, a big man in a blue suit walked in. Dollar? Uh-huh?
6: And Jim Madden. You're the insurance man. What can I do for you?
3: Tell me everything you can about that high school building.
6: The city made a claim yet? I don't know. Uh-huh. You just happened to be in town.
3: We heard something might be wrong with that building. Apparently there was. Now,
6: who told you a thing like that? Two boilers explode and there's something wrong with the building? Is that the way you people figure? We check into things. Well, so do we, and we couldn't find anything wrong. Who's your we? Me and the boys. Officially with the city construction department. We just had a big
3: meeting. Yeah. I figured those people hanging around outside ought to be worrying you. Well, they
6: don't worry me, and you don't worry me. Drunken janitor goes to sleep last night without turning down the boilers. The pressure kicks way up, the joint blows apart and burns down. Is that what you decided in that meeting? That's about
2: it. It
6: was a terrible accident, and we'll have to use an old garage or something for a school. But then we'll get around to building another with the insurance money we have coming.
2: Good
3: walls don't tumble out from that kind of explosion. We have to have some kind of specification on that. Easy, Dollar.
6: Easy. Of course you do. Of course you do. Anything at all. Yeah, There you are. All the building specifications on the high school, okay? That'll do for now. Good. Now you can get out of my house. You smell smoky.
3: 50 pages of specifications on that building materials used in the construction of the school. They looked all right. They also looked as if they could have been forgeries. I tried to get hold of Bill Garrett, but he didn't answer his phone. Then I noticed an inspection receipt at the back of the folder. It was signed by the local building inspector, a man named Mike DeGuerra.
7: You stay up late, whoever you are, but come on in anyway.
3: The woman standing in the doorway was tall and blonde and smoking a longer than you can buy a cigarette that went with the black filmy thing she was wearing.
7: say your name's Johnny Dollar and you want to talk to Mike, huh? I'm Vivian Daguerra and Mike isn't home just now, but you can wait for him and talk to me. I'm not bad company. Uh, Would a drink help? Help what? Whatever's wrong with you. You look tired.
3: It might, but I'd rather not. I just came by to talk to your husband. You said that.
7: What do you want to talk to him
3: about? Business. At one in the morning? Look, you probably missed your dinner tonight, and you've been getting all your nourishment out of a bottle.
7: And you're kind of afraid Mike
3: will walk in. No, Mike Deguera won't walk in. He's already walked out. And you're feeling kind of sorry for yourself.
5: Why, I didn't... A man,
3: if he lives in a place as an ashtray or a picture or yesterday's sports section lying around the front room, there's nothing like that in this room. And if I walked over to that closet ten to one, I wouldn't find any of his clothes. Come on, tell me... (laughs) When did he lamb out of town?
7: Stop! You're hurting my arm. Come on, when? Three months ago. Get out of here.
3: Why? Where is he?
7: Find him and ask him. You're the detective.
3: This is McGraw. Paul Johnny Dollar. It's a mess here. Your man Stankovich is dead. Was killed in the fire. Well, political wraparound. The school was a fix on something or other. Dough somewhere, the town sewed up tight, all kinds mixed up in it, somewhere.
5: Yeah, that kind of thing, huh? Well, stay where you are, Johnny. I'm sending you eight men.
6: If they want to play that way, we'll play that way. Get to the bottom of this.
3: Three seconds after I hung up the phone, I found out how much of a mess it really was. That's when my hotel door opened and a man lurched across the room toward me.
8: Now He
3: stood in front of me, swaying back and forth, his hands clutching his coat. He fell before I could get to him. Three bullet holes formed a neat trio across where his tie pin should have been. I ran my fingers through his coat, pulled out his wallet. The driver's license read, Mike Daguerre, age 39, occupation, building, inspector.
2: just a moment we will return to the second act of yours truly johnny dollar but first the king of the cowboys gene autry will be riding the cbs range again this saturday night and gene will be singing two of your favorites funny little bunny and home on the range this saturday cbs also will take you on another trip with vaughn monroe's caravan you can hear them both every saturday night on most of these same cbs stations vaughn monroe and gene autry Now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: After they took Mike DeGuerra's body to the morgue, the local constables held me all that night in custody. Several Cheyenne Hotel employees, finding nothing better to do for excitement, finally showed up to certify that DeGuerra had come into the hotel already shot up. So I was clean, and they let me leave a little after dawn. When I got back to my room, Paul McGraw's contingent of operatives had already arrived. There was Ralph Haycraft from Continental, Carl Royal, Chip Hannigan who handled the St. Louis Diamond Heist, Patty Phillips from Detroit, Rocky Androsano, reliable Jerry Cate, Tip Miller, Rob Cornile, and a guy who saved my life once in Denver. A.G. Peterson. Johnny, how are you? Hi, fine. Hey, how's everybody, huh? How Chip, Patty, Ralph. Oh, oh, good oh, to oh, see you. Uh, oh, Chesapeake oh, yeah. certainly spreading the dough around. What's the scoop, Johnny? This is a big one. It's going to take all of us. Now, if you'll sit down, I'll, I'll go over it for you. All
5: right. <coughs>
3: all right, here's the story. Chesapeake insured a high school building here about six months ago. Yesterday, it fell on its face. One, it was not built to specifications. Or two, somebody blew it down. Or both. In any case, we don't pay off. But... We have to prove our case. Now, there are too many leads for one man to follow before they evaporate. The guy who signed the building inspection papers was killed last night, a guy named Mike DeGuerra. Colin Chip, that's your job. Find out everything about him, his bank account, his friends, his troubles, his wife, everything. Oh, his wife, yeah, she's living at 113 South Street.
6: Ah, uh, you'd find a girl on Mount Everest, Johnny. <laughs> well, she's not my type, honestly.
3: Robin Tip, your man is the building contractor, Big Jim Madden. He's cocky, belligerent, but I think you guys can handle him. Run him down. Bank accounts, purchase orders, what kind of money he spends, so on. Patty and Ralph, find out everything about Stankovich, the janitor who was found in the ruins. Rocky and Jerry, start talking with anybody in town who might know anything. Bars, restaurants, street corners, teachers, pupils, anybody, anywhere. And report back to me anytime you want. Now, don't push anybody around, but don't let anybody push you guys around. Anyone have anything to say? Yeah, just one thing. Let's get this thing over so I can get back to Philadelphia. I'm about to become a father. (laughs) I thought I'd sit back a while and see what kind of birds were flushed up from the dusty meadows of Manhattan, Nebraska. An hour later, my first bird winged in, but it wasn't at all what I expected. It was a tall, gray-haired man, His Honor, Mayor Randall. Mr. Dollar,
8: I've seen the men you have brought into town today, and I wanted to talk with you about them. Fine. What about in
3: particular?
8: The events of the past 24 hours in this town have been deplorable and grossly injurious to the public welfare. The collapse of our beautiful schoolhouse, the death of our beloved janitor Stankovich, and the untimely murder of one of our respected public servants, Mr. DeGarrow,
3: all have grieved me deeply. None of which were caused by any of my investigators, Mr. Mayor. Oh,
8: my purpose here is not a belligerent one, Mr. Dollar. On the contrary, I came seeking assistance. We are a small community with a rudimentary police force... not equipped for major criminal investigations. I want these matters brought to a head and cleared up. And I came to offer a complete cooperation... between you and our municipal government.
3: I never turn down cooperation, Mayor, and I'll accept yours. You can begin by telling me everything you know about the schoolhouse.
8: Oh, certainly... It was commissioned two years ago, designed by William Garrett, built by James Madden six months ago. The uh, unfortunate Mr. Daguerre inspected it and called it up to snuff. On the basis of his official inspection, your company insured it. I had no idea until yesterday that it was an unsafe building.
3: Was Daguerre reliable?
8: I know nothing about his personal life, Mr. Dollar, but in his job, he was competent and above reproach.
3: He couldn't have been competent if he approved an unsafe building.
8: Yes, I wondered about that myself, but I'm not
3: prepared at the moment with an answer.
8: Where are the purchase
3: orders for the materials used in that building? Purchase orders? Yeah.
8: Purchase orders, I can't seem to recall... Uh, Well, they were undoubtedly destroyed, along with other useless paper matters that were accumulated from the construction work. Material Uh,
3: purchase orders are never useless when the building falls down afterwards. If you find them, I'd like to be invited in. I will certainly look for them, Mr. Dollar. I want to cooperate with you in every way. I'm sure you do, and you'll hear from me when I need something. Thank you, Mayor, and good day.
8: Oh, uh, by the way, uh, the city council will, of course, have to file an immediate claim with your company.
3: We take the bitter with the sweet. I pondered his statement for a while and got nowhere. There are mayors and mayors, and this one was of the old school, full of cliches and overblown rhetoric and nothing else. In a little while, calls began coming in from the men. Chip reported that during the building construction, Mike Daguerre had made four deposits of $5,000 each in the bank. His salary was $7,500 a year. I thought another talk with Mrs. Daguerre was in order and made for her house. She answered the door with tears in her eyes, a black lace handkerchief, and a black dress. It was tight, satin, and low cut. Not exactly Emily Post for mourning, but it was black.
7: Oh, Mr. Dollar, I'm glad you came. I'm so unhappy and lost.
3: I can see May I come in? Why not?
7: Is there anything special you want, Mr. Dollar?
3: I'm sorry to cut in on your hour of bereavement, Mrs. DeGuerra, but under the circumstances... I know. I'm
7: not sure I can help you any. I'm so broken up.
3: If you're not careful, you might drown in those tears. You cheap gumshoe. You dropped your act. Well, don't bother to pick it up and that dance hall dress and shoes. Is that what you thought was expected of you? Look, this setup creaks from top to bottom. Come on, now. Your late husband made... 7500 a year and deposited 20000 in six months. Is that figure? I don't know
7: anything about his money. All I know is the bank told me he only had 300 left.
3: What did he do with it?
7: What do you think? He spent it on other women.
3: And why the tragic act?
7: Not very good at it, am I?
3: Not the best?
7: I really loved him. He loved me. We kicked it away because we both wanted more excitement than this town or his salary could give us. There was no place to go. He just didn't get along. He... Without spending his money on other women, being a big shot. I can't blame him, though. I, I helped make him do it.
3: What about the money? He got it for falsifying the school inspection papers, didn't he?
7: Well, he didn't get it inventing the telephone. Who gave it to him? I don't know.
3: Well, who do you think killed him?
7: And why? I don't know that either.
3: Well, what do you know?
7: Look. He didn't leave any insurance, see, and I gotta live the best way I can. I stay in this town, i got to keep friends. If I don't want to keep them, i got no choice but to move. And that takes money.
3: I wonder what could possibly be on your mind.
7: The company you represent handles insurance, doesn't 263
3: it? 263 different kinds.
7: You particular? What kind of premiums you collect?
3: We pay off on a lot of things. Just what kind of insurance were you thinking about, madam?
7: $2,000 endowment. Got your pen?
3: No. But my word's good at the cashier's cage. What do you got?
7: I'm trusting you. Mike got that $20,000 from the Universal Rock Company for, quote, services rendered, unquote. You know who owns the rock company?
3: Big Jim Madden.
7: Close enough. Big Jim's brother. Last night, when Mike showed up in town, he was gunning for trouble.
3: Why? He
7: said they were going to make a patsy out of him. He wasn't going to take the rap for anybody, is what he said. I think he ran out of money and came back to make a touch in exchange for disappearing again.
3: And Madden shot him. I
7: didn't say that, because I don't know. How do I get my insurance?
3: Yeah, if what you say is true, I'll have to check first. I finally tore myself away from the grieving widow and headed back for the hotel in case any of the boys called. On my way down Main Street, getting the worst end of the local stairs, someone with a wrinkled coat and bourbon on his breath stepped out of a doorway and stopped me. Bill Garrett, the architect.
5: Dollar? Yeah, Garrett, what is it? I finally got up courage enough to do something decent. Decent for me, anyway. For anybody else, it would be too low to talk about. What was it? Well, I'm not much of a lawyer, but they say there's a statute in the books that says a private citizen may commit a crime to prevent a greater crime from being committed and still go free. Is that right? Most
3: states have it. I suppose Nebraska does, too.
5: Well... I committed a crime. I'm a fagin, that's what I am. So long, Garrett, I'm busy. Oh, now, Johnny, wait Wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no. Just written on the head of a pin, it goes this way. I had a secretary in the mayor's office steal something from his private file. Here. The purchase orders for our humble contribution to ageless architecture, the Little Red Schoolhouse. Signed by no other spotless member of our model community than
3: James G. Madden. I looked at them and they were as advertised purchase orders complete down to the last tenpenny nail. Not being a technical expert, I decided to shoot them back to Paul McGraw for his perusal. I sent them from the local post office, insured registered airmail and special delivery. Then. I walked up the steps of the city hall for a chat with his honor.
8: Good afternoon,
3: Dollar. My door is open to you anytime. Glad you feel that way, and I hope you still do when I finish. You finish what, Dollar? Calling you a liar? No, see, here. Save the B-picture dialogue for your next campaign. I thought you told me the purchase orders on the schoolhouse were destroyed. Well, to my knowledge, they were. Look in your personal file. Folder marked Madden, personal, hold. I, I don't know what you mean. Go on, look. No. No, don't bother. Because all you'll find is an empty space. (laughs) You ought to see your face, Mayor. I... Well, Mayor, they were in there, but somebody stole them and gave them to me. Yeah. I sent them to my company for examination, and I'm sure somebody's going to be in a jackpot when the material purchased doesn't come up to the specifications of the building.
8: This is outrageous. Indeed it
3: is. And it was outrageous from the day your city started to build that school. Well, all right. I'll tell you why I did what I did. For money.
8: Keep your filthy insinuations to
3: yourself. Insinuation? Your Honor, that was a plain statement.
8: I wanted to spare this city the loss of faith it would suffer, seeing one of its most prominent citizens exposed and driven out. A man is entitled to one mistake in his life, and Jim Badden is no exception. I planned to bring him to a private accounting and make him replace the money he made on that building and repair it to specifications. Only the tragedy occurred before I took matters in hand.
3: You had six months to do it, and every day of that six months, 1,800 students might have been killed, and one man was killed. No one knows that better than I. But once having
8: decided on this course of action, I I didn't know how to go about rectifying things. My intentions were good, but they went astray in the interests of humanity and brotherhood.
3: Mayor Randall, you are as full of wind as a Chicago street. You are not only windy, you're corny, stupid, careless, and you're criminal... On the strength of what you told me here, my company will never pay that claim. Dollar, I was trapped. Look, I'm going to pick up Madden right now. And, Randall, I suggest that you give yourself up to your own police chief before I have him do it for me. I raced back to my hotel to organize my men and pick up Madden. When I came in, the phone was ringing. It was Rocky Andrasano saying he had two witnesses to Daguerre's shooting. I told him to pick up the boys and come right over. I hung up just as the door opened... and three sullen characters with brick dust on their shoulders came in, uninvited. Want to come with us, Dollar? What do you need? Fourth at bridge? Come on. No, thanks. Uh, Guys. That'll do it. There was strictly no contest. And with one on each side working a punishing arm lock... I casually strolled out of the room and down the elevator to the street. We were coming out of the hotel when I saw Rocky, Chip, KG, Ralph crossing the street... My boys did real well, especially K.G. Peterson, who was in a hurry to get back to his wife. After we subdued the Hoods, I said a few words to their leader. Don't ask me nothing. Sorry, this is quiz night. Madden sent you, didn't he? Never heard of him. You wouldn't do that by yourself. We're not proving that. Talk. Lay off. Lay off. Of course he sent us. Who else? Where were you supposed to take me and why? Why, I don't know. Where? The Universal Rock Company on the edge of town. Was a huge dusty building next to some intricate rock-crushing machinery parked in front of it with three cars a yellow convertible such as a well-to-do contractor might drive a long black sedan such as a city official might have and a small sedan such as anybody might have we covered all the exits and kg peterson and i went up the front way we were halfway up to the offices when we pounded up to the landing just as big jim madden staggered out of an open office and fell twisting on the stairs Through the open door, I saw a flash of black skirt and a hand holding a gun that started jumping. (laughs) Give me that.
7: It's empty.
3: (laughs) It's all right, Mayor. I'll get an ambulance out here as soon as I can. We took Vivian Daguerre into custody. Randall was in bad shape, and he died two hours later. But before he died, he told me the whole story. It was my idea...
8: From beginning to end. Madden didn't want to do it, but I told him if he didn't, he'd never get another contract from this city. We were able to split $100,000 with the cheap supplies we used in that building.
3: Well, when I showed up Madden, he was afraid he was going to take the rap alone, huh? He was afraid he'd end up like Mike Degera. That right? Yes, I had to have Degera killed wanted more money. And you kept the purchase orders so you could make Madden do what you wanted him to do. When he
8: found out that your company had them, he... he was going to turn both of us in. I talked him out of it.
3: Yeah. With a gun. He's
8: dead. He's better that way. Why is it? There's always a falling out among thieves. <laughs>
3: That was the last question Mayor Randall ever asked on earth. And like other men before him who had lived with deceit and treachery, Randall didn't live long enough to get an answer. It turned out he had an ex wife in Detroit and a daughter living in Miami, but neither one of them claimed his body. His estate was tied up by the city, and the county buried him in Potter's Field, right next to another thief named Jim Madden. No one wrote anything on their headstones, no one cared. The reform city government was too busy floating a bond issue for a new high school. Bill Garrett's going to design it, and this time, I'm pretty sure they'll follow his plans. Expense account total, $3,227. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs>
2: Truly, Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and was written by E. Jack Newman and John Michael Hayes, with music composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Edmund O'Brien can currently be seen starring in Harry M. Popkin's United Artists production DOA. Featured in our cast were Victor Perrin, Elliot Reed, High Aberback, Clayton Post, Bill Conrad, Virginia Gregg, and Willer Waterman. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. Join us next week when, from Hollywood, Edmund O'Brien will appear in another transcribed adventure of Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. You can bet your life it's fun. It's a laugh a minute. You can bet your life it's full of surprises. It's radio's craziest quiz show. And you bet your life it'll be one of your favorites when you join Groucho Marx every Wednesday over most of these same CBS stations for You Bet Your Life. Now stay tuned for The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, which follows immediately over most of these same stations. This is CBS, The Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Hollywood. It's time now for
2: Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar.
4: This is Bill Hudson, Johnny. Grant Industrial Assurance. Remember?
3: How could I forget? Whose assembly line busted down this time? It's
4: steel, Johnny. Cornell Steel Pittsburgh. Lots of so-called accidental deaths in the open hearth furnaces. Frankly, it smacks of murder to me.
3: Could be hot work. I'll bring my sweatshirt.
2: When's the next plane for Smokeville. <laughs> Edmund O'Brien, in another transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Great Industrial Assurance Corporation of America, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during investigation of the dead first helpers. Expense account item one, $83.24 plane fare to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a land of chimneys and open hearth furnaces where I met supervisor Joel Barrett.
9: Five men in a single month, Mr. Dollar, all of them first helpers.
3: What's a first helper?
9: Well, it goes like this. The melter foreman is in charge of a number of furnaces. The first helper is in charge of an individual furnace. Under him are the second helpers and the cinder snaps.
3: I see. Well, how did the deaths occur?
9: In a number of ways. One man tumbled down a flight of stairs. Two were killed by a crane magnet. Another one fell from the pouring platform. And just last week, one of our best men was killed in an explosion of a hot cap mold.
3: You better explain that one.
9: Uh, Certain types of steel have to be capped after they've been poured from the ladle to the ingot, you see. Sometimes the pressure is so great inside of them that when the pourers shoot water on the cap to seal it, the cap flies off and sprays a man with molten steel. Uh, I've seen it happen only once, Mr. Dollar. That's enough for me. Any connection between
3: these deaths? How do you mean? I mean any common denominator, anything that could provide a motive for murder. Uh,
9: None that I know of, uh, except for the fact that all the men had been with us for a long time, 15 or 20 years.
3: Just the boys who know their way around, eh? That's
9: what's so strange, Mr. Dollar. None of them have ever been found to ignore safety regulations. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, how do you plan on proceeding?
3: Well, it's been my experience that plant investigation from the outside is pretty often a waste of time. The men are on their guard.
9: You want to go right to work in the shop?
3: What did you say they call the lowest man on the open hearth furnace? Cinder snap. Well, you break out the overalls, Mr. Barrett. We'll see how good I am at snapping cinders. <laughs> two, twenty-five cents for work cap. Every other item of equipment provided by the company. Expense account item three, one dollar for blister salve and adhesive tape for hands after first eight hours of work. Expense account item four, seventy-five cents for liniment for back after second eight hours of work. Expense account item five, ten dollars, first union fees, United Steelworkers CIO. Footnote, the fourth day on the job is the hardest. Teen was a killer, but more and more I felt myself becoming a part of the making of steel. It's really something to watch the straight, white-hot steam pound into the ingot molds from the ladles. And I began to know these men whom you never hear about. The men with the big backs and the soaking red bandanas around their waists. Like Andre, with the funny last name, who got a kick out of helping me along. It's all right, Dora. You get the swing of it.
4: It's not half so hard like you think. After a while, you get strong, get tough like nails. Oh, my aching back. Bet you never eat so good, huh? Bet you never sleep so
3: good. Oh, I dream about lime-silicon ratios. You
4: won't see turn tomorrow?
3: Yeah, if you mean the midnight shift, yeah. Good, you be with me. I show you lots of things. Well, I don't mind the work, but frankly, I'm scared. You work good. They not fire you. Uh, It's not that, Andre. I mean cranes and scrap cars and ladles of steel, 3,000 degrees hot. You learn how to go around, you have no trouble. You remember the rule, you have no trouble. You'll be fine. Maybe, but some of the boys were saying that five men died in the last month, and boys that should know how to get around. Right, Andre? Accident always
4: happens. Fools, the old ones, they are the careless ones. They know, they think they know so well the rule, and they slip and poof.
3: Yeah, you said it, poof. (laughs) Poof. But sometimes it isn't so easy to make friends in a steel mill. Sometimes, no matter how hard you try, you know that you've lived too soft a life to ever get information from a steel man like Joe Poland. I found him in the company cafeteria. Where do you come? Chicago. You no look Chicago. What do I look? You look from office building. Where you were before? Office building. Your hand like baby, soft like milk. How'd they take you? Guess I've got an honest face. What? Skip it, eat your soup, it's getting cold. Yeah. Kirk Brody. What you say? Nothing, just Kirk Brody. Kirk Brody, how you know Kirk Brody? He dead when you come. I know, killed by a hot cap mold. Kirk Brody friend, I like him, work good. Who was working with him, Joe? Masaloni. Glad it wasn't me. I'd hate to have that on my conscience. You're nosy. You maybe work for Barrett. Barrett. I don't like. Finish your soup, Joe. It's getting cold. Yeah. Then there was Fred, another first helper, who helped me understand the general feeling about Mr. Barrett. You'll
6: learn what it's like, Dollar.
3: You married? Not
6: yet. Well, if you were married and maybe had a couple of kids, you'd find out. I lie awake at night and you'd wonder, will it be me? Will I get that blue slip tomorrow? What if something happened to me? Would she get anything from the insurance? Things like that. How long have you been here?
3: Five years. And tomorrow they can say, that's all, friend. And where are you? You sound like you know your way around, Fred. What's your idea on these accidents?
9: Accidents?
6: There's no such thing as an accident, Dollar. People who want to live cross the street with delight. It's the same way in steel. Like Kirk Brody, killed last week.
3: I decided to pay Kirk Brody's widow a call. But there was so little to go on, I had nothing to lose. She lived in a cold water flat. There was still a black wreath in the door. Yes? Mrs. Brody? That's right. I wonder if I could see you for a moment. I'm with Cornell Steele.
7: Come in. Won't you sit down?
3: Thanks. My name is Dollar. I'm investigating the accidents that occurred in the open hearths, Mrs. Brody. I'm sorry to trouble you about it, but there are some things I have to know.
7: Kirk was the last one.
3: It happened three weeks ago, is that right?
7: Yeah. Three weeks ago, Tuesday.
3: On the accident report, it said he was killed when a hot cap blew off a mold.
7: I knew it would happen, Mr. Dollar. I knew it would happen. It was as if I could have stopped it. Oh, Kirk was always careful. Always. Only that day when he left the house, I had a feeling something was going to happen. I said, Kirk, please be careful. He smiled. It was the last I, I saw.
3: I won't trouble you any further, Mrs. Brody.
7: Oh, no. I, I want to tell you what's happening, Mr. Dollar. I'll tell you what it is. It was this way with Kirk. It's this way with the others. It's their jobs. They're scared for their jobs. You want to investigate? You want to investigate Barrett? He's the one to investigate?
9: Huh? Ah. Hope nobody saw you come in here.
3: Nobody did, Barrett. Well,
9: uh, what'd you find out?
3: Well, nothing you could call factual, but there's some kind of tension in the shop. Something's going on.
9: Well, production is holding its own.
3: No, oh, they work all right. But it's like they're frightened of something. I want to look at your employment records.
9: Well, sure thing. Uh, right in that file drawer. Thanks. You know, it, uh, it certainly is odd, Dollar. Every one of the men killed was alone at the time. No witnesses at all.
3: Oh, really? That's something you neglected to tell me on my first visit here, Mr. Barrett.
9: It slipped my mind.
3: Ah, it seems several other things slipped your mind.
9: What do you mean? Well, like a little
3: communication I found on the bulletin board in the locker room.
9: What communication? To the effect
3: that due to various conditions beyond our control, layoffs will be necessary in some cases, and men will be laid off consistent with their seniority.
9: now, Now, what possible connection could that have with the five deaths?
3: You had the answer to that question, but I had to find it out on my own. I don't call that active cooperation, Mr. Barrett.
9: What's that, uh, the five
3: Donald? men were killed in order of seniority. The killer, whoever he is, obviously is scared to death of losing his job. According to your files, the next man slate of accidental death is another first helper, Mike Baroldi. Now you knew all that. Why didn't you speak up?
9: Well, I don't know. It, it never hit me as particularly important.
3: You know Cornell Steele isn't laying off anybody right now. Maybe you're trying to scare the men into more work. And I doubt if that's company policy, Mr. Barrett.
9: You have your job to do, Dollar. That's to find this killer. I have my job to do. That's to boost production.
3: Is that all right with you? Perfectly all right. And I'll take my job any day.
0: Right. Yeah? Come here. What? The delay
4: clerk, Shanty.
0: Okay.
6: Just block it with manganese for the tap, dollar. I can't waste no time.
3: Look, this won't take long. Mike, you're on somebody's death list, you know that?
6: What are you talking
3: about? I'm with the plant insurance company investigating the five deaths that occurred here in the last month. According to my figures, you're next.
9: Ah, <laughs> cut it out. It's
3: not just a matter of accident, Mike. It's murder. You're the highest man in the shop in seniority outside of the melter foreman. Somebody is knocking off the top of the list one by one. So just watch your step. I believe it when I see it. When you see it, Mike, it's going to be too late. That night, toward the end of the shift, must have been about six in the morning, Mike was cleaning cinders from the furnace floor on the tap hole side. I was making it my business to keep an eye on him. He was sweeping the cinders off the platform down into the empty ladle pit 30 feet below. As a first helper, it wasn't his job, but Mike was like that. Suddenly, from the other side of the furnace came the huge figure of a man in an asbestos cloak and hood over his head and body. Mike turned, and a look of terror came into his face. I started for him, but too late. Whoever it was picked Mike up, held him aloft for a split stop. second, and hurled him to his death. Yeah. His
2: In just a moment, we'll return to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. But first, to politely paraphrase history, George Burns while Gracie fiddles. And the result is, of course, the laugh riot heard every Wednesday evening over most of these same CBS stations. George and Gracie are two of America's best purveyors of nonsense and two neighbors everyone enjoys visiting. You can never tell what Gracie has up her sleeve, but you can always bet it'll get George into trouble be sure not to miss The Burns and Allen Show, this Wednesday and every Wednesday at that spot on your dial marked CBS. And now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: They gathered around the body of Mike Baroldi and I gave chase to the killer was like running after a brown ghost. He ducked up the aisle between furnaces and hopped gingerly over the coupling of a train of cold scrap. I wasn't so lucky. I climbed up, but my foot got caught in the coupling guide and I fell on my face. The next thing I remember, I was in the plant inspector's office. He was dismayed. He took one gander at my noggin and launched into lecture 1A of the safety inspector's manual.
4: And look at this one. Another example. Look at his head. You're lucky to be alive. What rule did you
3: break? Uh, Section 3, Code 2. Don't you be funny with me. You know, I could have you fired, you know. I'll bet you could. What have you found out about Mike Baroldi? I filled
4: in a full report. The poor man fell over the railing while cleaning the platform.
3: Not quite. What? He was pushed. Pushed? Who pushed him? I don't know. The killer had an asbestos cloak and hood over him. A killer?
4: This is worse than I thought. You got a
3: skeleton key to the lockers? I want to see Mike's belongings.
4: Look, just who do you think you are?
3: I'm with the Grand Insurance Company, mister. You give me the key, and I think we can have this thing straightened out in no time. He was so stunned, he sent me to the open-heart production office where I got a key. The locker room was empty. I went to Mike Baroldi's locker first. I found his wallet with a pass to the plant in it and $3 in cash. It was a picture of a woman holding a baby. I put the wallet back, looked through the inside pocket of his coat, empty. I closed the locker and started a methodical search of each locker in the place. About two-thirds down the first row, I came to a locker labeled Andre La I opened it and found what I was looking for, an asbestos cloak and hood. There had been a tear on the sleeve of the cloak worn by the man who had killed Mike Baroldi. I took the cloak with me, locked up, and walked down the aisle to the door. Somebody was coming in just as I was coming out. It was Joe, Big Joe Poland.
4: What you do here, nosy?
3: Aren't you supposed to be at work? I feel sick. Where's Andre? Andre, work. Number 10? Like always, number 10. You nosy fella. I get nosier. Did you ever see this asbestos cloak before? Sure. He's used to blow a topple when they put out new heat. You seen it lately? Like on somebody? Sure. Andre, he have one coat. When? Before. Before what? I don't know, before. All right, thanks, Joe. See you later. Yeah.
4: You tell Andre Joe Jogoho. Joe I'll
3: tell him, Joe. Hey, hey, wait. Inspector say Mike Baroldi pushed from rail. That's right. How oh, he know? I told him. How oh, you know? I saw it. You see Andre push, Mike, huh? What makes you think it was Andre? Andre, bad
4: fellow. He don't like this, Mike. Always make trouble for this, Mike. And you don't like Andre? Sure, I don't like Andre. Why you think I tell you?
3: Did you see Andre?
4: I see him go to Furnace where Mike is. Uh, uh, Stomach too big.
3: You go on home, Joe. You don't look so good. As far as I was concerned, there were two main possibilities, two big boys. One was Joe Poland. The other was Andre LeMayer. I stuck the asbestos cloak that I found in Andre's locker in the production office where I could get to it later. The sun had come up, and Andre was standing there, enjoying the fresh air before going down to the locker room.
4: Hello, Dollar. It's a beautiful day.
3: Yeah, it is. It's
4: a beautiful day. That man should have to bury himself in this dirt and filth when all the world is so beautiful. That is the shame, no?
3: Yeah, that's right, Andre.
4: You going home now? Yeah, I go home now, yes. Oh, I have wonderful, wonderful uh, suggestion. Wonderful suggestion. You come home with me, huh? We have good French meal. You like good French food? Yeah, sounds great. Your wife won't mind? Sure she mind, but who cares for the wife? Ah, Come.
3: What's your name, monsieur? Johnny Dollar.
7: <laughs> funny name.
3: Ah,
4: you have no sense. Woman, you do not tell a man he has funny name. Oh, I'm
7: sorry, monsieur.
4: Oh, think nothing of it.
7: You work at Mill?
4: That's right. He'll make a wonderful worker. A very good man because he know, he think, he use his head. Oh, I forget, Marie. The most terrible thing has happened. What? You know, Mac Baroldi. Mac, tall, long, thin, little hair. Well, Mike... Is pushed from rail and killed. Oh, no. Kill. Oh, terrible, terrible. You see it, no, Dollar? Yeah, I saw it. Somebody do it. Somebody. They catch him, boy.
3: Andre, I think it's about time I let you in on a little secret. I'm with an insurance company. I'm investigating these murders. Huh? I found an asbestos cloak in your locker today.
4: I have no asbestos cloak.
3: I saw him. I killed, Andre. The killer wore this cloak. The cloak was in your locker Maybe you'd better take it from there. You say I kill Mike? You tell me this? I take you to my house?
4: You say terrible things to me like this? You lie to me. You say you are friends of mine.
3: You leave.
4: You leave. Leave!
3: Well, there goes some nice French cooking. Expense account, item 6, 25 cents for coffee and donuts at a corner cafe. I kicked myself a couple of times for breaking out the evidence before I should have. Then I went back to the open hearth office. Barrett had just arrived. He greeted me with a frown that reminded me of the last conversation we'd had.
9: Well, Dollar, have you found anything else?
3: You heard what happened early this morning?
9: About Mike, Yes. I thought you had it all figured
3: out. Well, I still haven't. I chased the killer across the shop, but he got away. I see. No, you don't see. He had an asbestos cloak and hood over him.
9: Pretty clever fellow. Yeah, and
3: pretty big. I've got it narrowed down, but that doesn't help much.
9: I suppose you've come to look through the files again, just so you can tell who's going to be killed next.
3: Maybe it'll be different this time, Mr. Barrett. I think I'll just take that seniority list with me, if I may. I'm, uh... I'm going to go home and get some sleep.
9: How do you like the night shift?
3: It's anything but dull, Mr. Barrett. I'll see you later.
0: Expense
3: account, item seven, $1 even, cab fare to a boarding house to which a surprise taxi driver chauffeured his first overall customer in what must have been years. Did I study the list in the cab? I did not. I grabbed a little sleep. The driver shook me awake. I paid him, went upstairs, and flopped in the cot. Then I opened the paper. The next name on the list was none other than Andre LaMere. Expense account, item 8, 75 cents, taxi fare. I got to Andre's in 10 minutes. I was 20 minutes too late. The police were out front.
7: Death. His death.
3: They killed him. Who killed him, Mrs. LaMere? killed him. Killed Who? Who, Mrs. LeMay?
7: The man. The big man. He killed him.
3: Sergeant, take care of you, <laughs> I'm sorry, Mrs. LeMay. <laughs> Expense account item eight, cab fare to plant. I tried to tell myself that there was nothing I could have done that everything had pointed to Andre. But I'd seen his name on the seniority list, right below Mike Baroldi's. I'd drawn too many conclusions. It was clear now, the asbestos cloak in Andre's locker had been a frame. Maybe insurance investigators shouldn't make mistakes, but they do, and sometimes fatal ones. I could lay the blame for Andre's death on nobody but myself. Myself and a big first helper named Joe Poland. Where is Poland, Barrett?
9: I don't know. He got sick. We sent him home.
3: What's his address?
9: I have it right here in my book.
3: Bring it with you. You and I are paying a visit to Joe Poland.
9: I hope you have a gun, Dollar.
3: Just in case. Knock. You better stand back. Yeah? Mrs. Poland? Yeah? Is your husband home?
0: No.
3: Where from the mills. This is Mr. Barrett. Huh? Where can we find your husband, Mrs. Poland? He's not home. Mind if we come in and see? He's
9: not home. Go away. He's not. I'm home. sorry,
3: Mrs. Poland. We'll have to make sure. You stop. You try that door, Barrett.
9: Uh, I think you'd better try it. You now. go right. You go, I call police.
3: He's not here, Barrett.
9: He's not home. I told you, he's not home.
3: Mrs. Poland, you may not know it, but your husband is wanted for murder. Yeah. Now, come on, tell us where he is.
9: You from Mills? I tell you nothing. Uh, uh, Look, Mrs. Pullen, be reasonable. Reasonable. You be reasonable. Five kids. be reasonable. This place be reasonable. Mills be reasonable. Barrett, you go. I call police.
3: Come on, Barrett. You must have a peculiar theory of management, Barrett. I've been in dozens of plants, and I've never seen anybody loved like you are. What do you do to them?
9: My theory of management is very simple. Men work better when the pressure's on. There it is, cruel but true. I have the top production result in the plant. You can't beat that.
3: How did you ever get off a bookkeeper's stool and into a mill? How did you ever get to be a supervisor? I'd like to meet the man that hired you. <coughs>
9: I give you 10 days as a supervisor in the steel mills, Dollar. You'd change your opinions fast. Men are no different now than they ever were. Give them an inch, they take a mile. Give them five minutes off, they take an hour. Let them out of your sight for a minute, and they're playing cards in a corner.
3: You know, men are more than figures on a production chart. Could that be why you lost a lot of good first helpers, Barrett?
9: Yeah. One maniac runs loose, and you condemn the whole method. Ah, Sorry, Dollar. You've got a lot to learn about the practical management. You'd better just stick to investigation. And from the way you've messed this case up, I'd say you were the one who had a lot to learn in his field.
3: We rode back to the plant without a word. It wasn't just anger. There was so much difference between us, there was just nothing to say. Barrett got off and said he'd call the police if I had proof that Joe Poland was the killer. I said I didn't have any proof and for him to call the police anyhow. I took the stairs to the furnace floor. I knew Poland would be there. I don't know how I knew. I just knew. I wandered from furnace shanty to furnace shanty. I found him at number twelve. He was cleaning out the clay of the tap hole before the pour. Joe, yeah, take off the hood. What? Come on,
2: Joe. It's all
3: over.
4: Dollar. No good, dollar. Nobody take job away from Joe. You see the list. I'm on top of list now, darling. i top of list. Now nobody take job away. My kids, my wife, they be good now. No live bad. I get big raised now. i top of list. it's no fire me, eh? Stay away, Joe. Joe, I'll shoot. The
3: second had stopped him, then he came at me again as steady as before. The small trickles of blood started down his chest. Stop, Joe. <laughs> leg this time. He gripped it once, then let go. There was no expression of pain on his face, just determination. I was the last man in his way. After I was gone, he had a clear road to it. Then he was me, on his huge hands gripping Dollar, my throat. I Below me, I could feel the of freshly poured steel no. bubbling I, in his face. Then I me, shot again. <laughs> Close quarters this time, and right for the heart. Slowly, the hands relaxed. A huge body slumped over the railing and fell. There was a hiss and puff of steam. I stood up. My legs were trembling under me. I looked down, shielding my face. There was nothing to see. The slag had covered over. Expense account, item nine, $20.53. ...flowers for Joe Poland's funeral. They buried a block of steel in place of his body. Barrett was standing there, standing to one side... ...and Mrs. Poland and Mrs. Brody and Mrs. LaMere. When the minister finished his little speech... ...Mrs. Poland turned to Barrett. I've never seen hate like that in anyone's eyes. Murderer. You killed him.
9: You killed him, Barrett. You killed them all. You still kill them. They'll all die of you. Come on, Mrs. Poland,
7: come on. That
0: isn't going to happen. Murderer! Murderer!
7: Hi, Marie Lemaire. Let me take you home.
3: So Mrs. Poland went home with the woman whose husband, Joe, had killed. And I wondered who are the murderers and where does murder start? Though I don't like to see anyone lose his job, I like petty Simon Legrees even less, so I'm pleased to report that Joel Barrett has been replaced as supervisor. I finally concluded that if you trace a murder far enough, you get right back to every one of us. Expense account total, $520.25. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien and was written by Gil Dowd and David Ellis with music composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Edmund O'Brien can currently be seen starring in the Harry M. Popkin United Artists production, D.O.A. Featured in our cast were Joe Forte, Junius Matthews, Jack Petruzzi, Raymond Burr, Jack Crucian, Kay Stewart, and Peggy Weber. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. Join us again next week when, from Hollywood, Edmund O'Brien will return in another transcribed adventure of... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. CBS will go right on bringing you Dr. Christian every Wednesday night over most of these same stations, along with Bing, Groucho, and George and Gracie. Stay tuned now for The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where Wednesday night is Bing Crosby night, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days, your home for the best of golden age radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1,001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.